1: Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new voicemails.
1: Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The show, man.
2: Wait, wait, wait. We're doing that
1: Brooklyn Nets, Brooklyn talk. Nets
2: talk right here on Talking Nets. Brooklyn, we go hard. Go, go hard. Talking Nets. i talk by Keith McPherson.
3: Yes sir. Welcome back to Talking Nets, your favorite podcast about your least favorite team. Let's get into it. My guy Double A joining us. Double A, if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. I'm reading the comments. I see people hating on Double A. And I think <laughs> that's go. good. I think that's good. They, you know, they're anonymous. They're not visible. We can't see their face. We can't hear their voice but they've got stuff to say about you. So that means you're doing something right. And Eric Slater, my guy is making his name in the Nets world. I want y'all to do this right now. If you have a Twitter account or if you're watching on Twitter, let's see, are we streaming live on Twitter right now? We are. If you have a Twitter account and uh, you are not following Eric Slater, do that right now so we can get my boy to 10K. Let's get my guy to 10K followers on the ex-Elon Musk machine and um, get him to the point where it says, you know, 10.1. Let's get him to that 10,000 mark where it makes your uh, followers look a little different. It doesn't have four digits. It's got three. Uh, Let's welcome Eric into the show. You heard him a little bit. Eric, uh, tell people where you're from, uh, how long you've been a Nets fan, how long you've been on the beat, how you got this gig, and how things are going so far for you. Uh, getting the chance of a lifetime what a dream to cover an NBA team from New Jersey
1: man North Jersey born and raised I've been a Nets fan my whole life going back to the 12 and 70 days even a little before that I can remember at uh, the Meadowlands and I got this job you know I, I did a blog throughout college and a little bit towards the end of high school called the Nets Report and I was covering the team and then right out of college, went and played football at Lehigh and then did a grad year at Syracuse playing there and went to the Newhouse School, got reached out to by Clutch Points, which is where I work now. They had an open beat writer position for the Nets and I took it and now I've been covering all the tumultuous misery and the downfall of the team since, but you know what I mean? It's been a great experience. I've met some great people and like you said, man, cover an NBA team credential, get to be around the team. Couldn't really ask for more. You're muted, Keith.
4: Keith, you're muted. I don't know if you can hear me, but Yo, uh, Keith, you're muted. He's tossing he's tossing the mic. And uh I'll text them don't worry but uh yeah Eric thanks thanks so much uh for coming out uh, oh man. I was I yeah. was muted yeah no there we go my <laughs> yeah.
3: um my headphones are clicking I don't know what the clicking is coming from I think it might be my mixer uh but I'll go back to what I was saying what I was saying was uh you know shout out to Eric it's good to have somebody from New Jersey where the Nets are from somebody that's telling you yeah I root for this team or rooted for this team like I grew up a fan of this team and now has made it to the point where they're covering this team and he gets an inside look at what's going on he gets to ask questions to Jacques Vaughn now Kevin Ali he gets to see the players he gets to cover the team for his job on a daily basis so shout out to Eric for joining us um Eric plug your podcast I just started uh you know subscribing on youtube but plug your podcast so people know where to find you yeah it's the believe in nets podcast on the believe podcast network just
1: started a youtube channel not a not a long time ago but also can find it on apple Podcasts, spotify everywhere so had some good guests on doing some good things with that trying to build that so appreciate the shout out the
3: believe in nets podcast
1: no offense bro that's a
3: uh, terrible name that's not a lot of believing in the nets lately but (laughs) i'm I'm trying to turn that around (laughs) Ah, that's a terrible name all right so uh usually we like to start with a vibe check in the chat the vibes are toilet bowl trash dumpster juice right now after last night's game but let's see what the uh, faithful nets fans are saying in the chat you're Greg always early gang. Greg was in here at one 47 show started at um, one or two Oh seven, 20 minutes after as Nets fans. Let's hope that Adam Silver and the MBPA stop the Koch family to purchase the Nets franchise and get somebody decent wishful thinking Jay-Z should buy the Nets. All right. I guess we will start right there. That's a good place to start. Um <laughs> Um, I think I had something from one of the articles I saw. Let's uh, remove the vibe check and let's go to a clip from an article that I was reading on the Koch family. First thing I'll say before I read this is everything that, like, I'm not familiar with the Koch family. I'm not in the business. I'm not in the stocks. I don't know who the billionaires are in this country. I'm a sports fan. You guys know I watch all four major sports and I talk about them for a living. I don't care about this extra shit, but. Everything that I saw about the Koch family was negative. All the reaction to this and everything I Googled, they seem like a slimy, scandalous, crooked-ass family that made their way to the top. So come on down. Of course, Joe (laughs) he's rubbing shoulders with these guys. They're looking to gain a 10% stake of BSE Global, the Nets' parent company, which also owns the Barclays Center, the WNBA's New York Liberty, and the Nets' training facility the HSS center, the Koch brothers, family investment vehicle, 1888 management will serve as the entity of the stake acquisition from BSE global. And David Koch jr. Will ultimately assume the minority owner title. Once the ongoing disus- discussions materialize into a deal, the stake could be even higher as Brian Lewis of the New York post reported shout out, Brian, the coaches will vie as much as 15% of the ownership pie for a whopping $4.8 billion. Despite these, Bloomberg indicated that there are there is no assurance that a sale will be completed, though. The Post Lewis and Josh Kozman revealed that the talks have been advanced and going on for over a month. So that isn't a done deal, but we saw that report this week, and I think people were just like, oh, of course. Look at the timing. Uh, I know some folks were like, this is enough to make me not want to be a fan. Um and Bloomberg had the article up. I don't know if you guys can see that, but uh yeah, I'll put the link in um in the chat if you guys want to read about the Koch family. Alex, do you know anything about the Koch family? You're a smart guy and you're a worldly guy. You might know more about them than me.
4: Uh actually, no. This the, I I was in the same boat, you know. I I found out about them once I saw the uh, report Um, I, I didn't have the same reaction as a lot of Nets fans did just based off the fact that I had no knowledge of them. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's a, there's a lot of owners that, you know, in all sports that have not gotten to where they are without doing some shady stuff. Uh, I feel like that's like, that's facts. Yeah. There's no, there's, there's no hiding it even, even though, you know, there's nothing really public about it. So, I mean, you know, most, most owners, most billionaires, they are all kind of, you know, have the same type of, you know, sliminess to them, I guess. So I, I don't really, um, have an opinion on them just based on the fact that I don't have the education on them. So, Let's see where it uh, where it goes. Uh, Let's see how long it takes. And also, it's just a minority ownership, so it won't be, you know, Joe Tsai won't be leaving, uh, or Clara Wu Tsai won't be leaving. Um, But yeah, I mean, it is a huge development just based off the fact that it will be just new faces into the organization. So if it does come to fruition, so we'll see what happens. Uh, You know, it's it's crazy how many. Ownerships have gone through over the years, you know, Mikhail Prokhorov when he first came into Brooklyn, and then now Joe Sai with his wife, uh, and now the Kosh family. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's more internal that I think needs to be addressed first. So, uh, I mean, we'll probably get into that later. Uh, so, I mean, at the moment, it's kind of just It's not necessarily a non-story, but it's just more so like we need to do our research first um, before really giving an opinion on it. Because everyone just sort of like lumped in and gave their negative thoughts, whereas, you know, we sort of just have to like take it step by step. Either of you guys uh, have uh, <laughs> have an opinion on it?
1: Um, I mean, I, I knew a little bit about the Koch family before this news came out, and you know, I, I try. I don't get very political, you know, when I'm talking about
4: basketball. Yes, it's not
1: yeah, the lane that I get into, but um, it's not all that surprising to see people have negative reactions to them buying a stake in the Nets. But it's like at the same time. I mean. I, I don't really get into if I am a fan of a sports team, you, know, you would like in a perfect world in the idealistic world for your owner to be like this perfect, like Saint, like person, like not that. The coaches are far from that, obviously, but it's like, I don't know. They, they, they're going to have a minority ownership stake in the team from what Brian Lewis colleague of mine has reported said they would not have a path to getting majority ownership of the team. So, you know, it's, it's noteworthy, but I, you know, if you're not going to, if you're gonna like freak out about it, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, they're they're buying a minority stake. It sounds like they'll have, I guess, some involvement. They might just be looking at it as an investment. I've heard that David, the son, uh, he's actually Charles is like the the main guy in the family. It's his nephew, David, um, who is like a basketball fan, and a sports fan. It sounds like, so wanted to get involved. So I really, have one opinion on it, one way or another. I do know that they have a ton of money that they'll now be. Think they'll be the second richest ownership, you know, group involved in the NBA behind only um, the Clippers, and I think they'd be the third or fourth in all four pro American sports, major sports. So they got a lot of money. That's that's. I'm gonna leave it at that.
3: You guys can hear me now or no? Yeah, yeah. we can hear you. All right, cool. Yeah, so I mean, y'all were yelling, sell the team. <laughs> y'all were saying, sell the team. Joe Sine said, bet. Joe Sine said. Sell the team? I'm not going to sell all of it, but I don't give a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about this team. I will sell some of it. So I heard you. He said I heard you. All right, what else we got in the chat? Uh, and I see everybody in here. If you do want to call the voicemail, 929-500-103. I think I have one voicemail pending uh, from Joel. But, Alex, I seen you in there early. I don't know what's harder to watch, the Nets or the Yankees with runners in scoring position. Chill. Hold on, I might have to bounce him out of the Let me see, put user in timeout, ban user and delete their comments. But um it's a new year for the New York Yankees. Do not lump them in with the Brooklyn Nets. Do not go back to 82 and 80. If you're watching spring training, the Yankees will not look like the 2023 Yankees. And watching the Nets are is is the hardest thing possible right now. Like watching that game last night, I'd rather watch Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo, and Precious Achua uh, try and compete with the Pelicans then watch the Brooklyn Nets go out there with Dennis Schroeder, Nick Claxton as your leading scorers. It it is painful. It is a terrible time to be a Nets fan. And it seems like it's always a terrible time. Even in the good times, it's a terrible time. I said last night, this is just a sorry franchise. And I feel bad for the kids that maybe five years ago were like, yeah, I want to be a Nets fan. KD, Kyrie, and now look what they got. You can't explain this to the kids. You can't explain this to a young man that picked the team. Shout out to Ramon Castro. What's up, Talking Nets, a bright spot on this rainy day? Yeah, we do this for y'all. We do this not for money. We do this not because the team is great and we have a blast talking about them. We do this for the community, the people in the chat. What up, Will? What up? What up, Louie? Rahala, Yo what up what up what up what up what up what up Roller. first off bro first off like yo <laughs> the thing is bro like you got to get off me you got to ease up a little bit bro like last time you was coming at me for not making any money in the super chat like you got to you got to ease up on me bro like chill <laughs> I'm just playing Keith, love how you describe about the Koch family sliming no good for nothing. That's just what it seemed. That's just what it seemed. I don't know him personally, but I know the reaction was not great when we saw that. And um, the reaction was not great uh, when we saw Kevin Ollie in the post game last night. I feel bad for this brother, man. Let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets new head coach. I mean, he's only been on the job for like a week and it's a tough ass job. He's, he's He's got a terrible roster. He's got a team full of guys that nobody wants to coach. And, uh, I mean, Doc Rivers thinks he's got a challenge ahead of him. Nah, Kevin Ali's got a challenge ahead of him. What do you guys think so far about the Brooklyn Nets head coach? He got his first win against the Grizzlies. We can applaud that. He got his first head coach against – or his first win as a head coach against the Grizzlies, but they take one step forward, two steps back.
4: Yeah, I mean – I'll pass it to you, Eric. My bad. Um, uh, But basically, I I mean, you know, the Grizzlies are a pretty bad team this season. all of their starters are out, you know, Desmond Bain, John Morant, Marcus Smart. They're all, out. It's kind of just Jaron Jackson Jr. And a bunch of G leaguers and two way players. Um, however, um, I'm happy for Kevin Ollie, but I, I just don't see him really in the running uh, for head coach, a permanent head coach for yeah, next man. season. Um, I mean, he'll be in the running, but he won't be a favorite at all. Um, and it just seems that the Nets have just completely lost their offensive identity have, I don't think they've yet to, in all their losses, they've all been under 90 points. Uh, so, and it's just sort of, we're just searching for something. Uh, Dennis Schroeders came into the starting lineup and that's not really helped that much. Um, so the Nets are in a really tough position and there's just been a bunch of reports, um, about Nick Claxton, heading to that uh, team uh, in Memphis, apparently. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know what Nets fans would think about that. Um, I, Eric, I'll ask you about those reports, actually, because I, I just don't know if there's that much truth in it, or if there is where uh, there was a bunch of reports right when the trade deadline ended, where the Nets will look to resign Nick Claxton during the offseason. But now it's sort of just kind of like mixed at the moment. So I just wanted to know what your take was on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I understand, like, fit-wise, why um, people would, you know, think that Nick Claxton could be a good fit there next to Jaron Jackson Jr. And, you know, a guy who has some trouble rebounding. He gets some size. Obviously, grew up in South Carolina, has the AAU ties to John Morant. He's tight with their family. But, I mean, Nick Claxton, this is going to be the first big contract of his NBA career, so – you know, I, I would think that you know he he might like he'll obviously bring into account like where fit is good for him, but he's going to be trying to get a bag. So, you know, I'd, I'm pretty sure that the Grizzlies some of that speculation is coming from and how they could get there. But um, you know, they're a team with like a lot of salaries. Obviously, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, John Morant. So, I mean, I think the Nets, since they didn't trade. Ah, uh, Claxton at the deadline. Them, I mean, you don't want to let him. You don't want to give him a bloated contract and like something that's bad for business moving forward. But if you weren't, if you weren't going to re-sign him, not trading him at the deadline is just like kind of a disaster. So I would think that they're putting on a full-court press to bring Claxton back to Brooklyn. Now at the same time, Claxton has to want to come back to Brooklyn. But if they're yeah. going to pay him and they're going to, you know, keep him in a role that he'll be happy with. I don't see why he wouldn't, but at the same time, like you would hope that they made those decisions not to move him at the deadline with knowledge about what his market could be, their intent to resign him, how he feels about coming back. So the Grizzly stuff, like it is whatever. I don't think it's very realistic. And I would think that he'll be back in a Nets uniform. And if he's not, it's a pretty big, massive miscalculation by them.
3: Which would be on brand because that's all they do is make massive miscalculations. You know, speaking of one, um, I mean, where you want to go? Um, shout out to Eric Slater for joining the pod. I follow all his tweets and his coverage. Kevin Ollie said Ben Simmons has a knee injury and will get imaging done before the team clarified it is a leg injury. Simmons missed a game due to swelling in his left knee after returning from his recent back injury. He missed two extended stretches due to the knee last year. My neck, my back, my neck, and my back, and my knee, and my... Come on, bro. I'm just so over this. I'm so over this. I told y'all, and I haven't changed. I told y'all from the jump, the dumbest decision that Sean Marks made was to stay on the phone with Daryl Morey and actually accept a trade to bring Ben Simmons here when we all saw what went on in Philadelphia. You should be fired just off of that. You, you should be done. I don't know how he has nine lives. I don't know how he keeps getting to make decisions and moves for this team. Um, I tried to say maybe it's the Aussie connection, New Zealand and Australia, that he had faith in Ben Simmons. But you took on a max contract, bum. You took on a max contract walking injury DNP. And uh, that is how I think some things um, last year started to fracture. Even two years ago. Well, not even. If you go back to the whole, he was traded for James Harden. So, obviously, Harden didn't want to be here, and we all know what happened with uh, you KD know, being hurt and out of the lineup and Kyrie not wanting to get vaccinated. And uh, Harden is in L.A. after forcing his way to Philly. But you accepting that trade, I was on this podcast saying, I don't give a damn what James Harden wants. Make him sit. make him Make him inactive, but you do not trade him. Because he's disgruntled. You do not trade him because he wants to go join his dad, Daryl Morey, in Philadelphia, where he lets him ride on the jet and go to the booty club and do whatever he wants. Like, the biggest mistake Sean Marks made, it wasn't it wasn't the KD Kyrie stuff. Um, it was bringing Ben Simmons here and then actually thinking that Ben Simmons could be a part of the team. I think Jacques Vaughn actually thinking that Ben Simmons could be a point guard, be a part of this team in training camp. And going into the season with that plan, that was a huge mistake. You got to always have a plan B, a plan C with, uh, with with the BS, Ben Simmons. So Ben Simmons is out. And there's actually Nets fans saying that, oh, well, you know, the Nets, without Ben Simmons, uh, the Nets are like, come on, bro. The Nets are cooked. The season is cooked regardless. But from one injury to a the next, they keep on coming. Guys have been hurt all year. Cam Thomas is limping after appearing to turn his right ankle. Seven minutes left in the game against the Grizzlies. Not what you want to see late in a blowout. Thomas missed extended time with a left ankle sprain earlier this season. Sucks. It absolutely sucks. This team has fired their coach. This team has had injuries to Ben Simmons a whole year, Cam Thomas twice, Lonnie Walker, Dennis Smith Jr., Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith. The whole team has been hurt. And last night you saw the Iron Man, Mikael Bridges, not be so great, not be able to perform at his best. They were able to neutralize him. And it made me think, oh, this guy needs a rest. He needs load managing. But he's got a streak on the line. And that's who the Brooklyn Nets are building everything around. That's the face of the franchise. That's the guy that they won't trade for first-round picks. That's the guy that they want to build around so much so that they paid Cam Johnson. They paid Cam Johnson a lot of money. So when we talk about mistakes, when we talk about miscalculations, that's exactly what the Brooklyn Nets have become.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Sean Marks, like I I agree that he shouldn't be on the job at the moment, but I think, I mean, we've kind of known that he's going to be part of the group or whoever is going to be part of uh, the front office that's going to be looking for the, coaching change over the summer, that's his last chance, in my opinion. And I mean, the amount of doubling down that he's made of, you know, of Mikael Bridges or bringing in other stars to build around Mikael Bridges, you know, it just, it could potentially set back the franchise years just based off the fact that Houston was willing to give up the back, the picks and them uh, and Sean or whoever's decision was to reject that. It just it doesn't really make sense in my opinion just because the Nets have not gone through a legit rebuild in God knows how long. Like The last time we had a high draft pick of our own was, uh, in, was the year John Wall went first and we took Derek Favors third overall. So it just sort of goes back to all the way then. And since then, each, each time we've been bad, we've, got, we've built our way back up to a decent playoff team and then we sort of just go all in again and we're going back into that route, which I just don't know why that, why they wouldn't do that again. Um, and there's just, there's just too many question marks with this team. I think the only player or just only staff or a front office member that isn't a question mark is Mikael Bridges. Uh, because the first thing that I said when Jock Fong got fired is that the first thing that came to my mind? Is that Mikhail Bridges is staying for sure. And that because there was lots of lots of question marks whether or not Mikhail Bridges would even would potentially be traded. Uh, you know, either during during uh, before the trade deadline or during the off season. I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion now that they are going to double down and go start hunting again. Um, but it just doesn't really make sense with not the amount of like off uh free agents uh if the nets have the cap space if they're if we have to put in assets to trade ben simmons or try and get rid of expiring deals it just a lot has to happen if they want to work out for either next season or the season after that
1: yeah and i'd say you know keith you were talking about the ben simmons trade and i think you know people would be in universal agreement that that trade has been a disaster but you know, looking at where they were in that situation with you know James Harden blindsiding them with the trade request a few days before, they weren't realistically going to let him walk and get nothing back for him. So they try to take that and hope it works out. But you know, the trade was a disaster. But I'd say the real issue with Sean Marks in that situation is getting to a point where you're three days before the deadline and your star player that you just traded the entire franchise's future for is blindsiding you with the trade request. So it's really been something that I've talked about, you know, with people, you know, who cover the team and are around the team and just the inability to be on the same page as your superstars who you are investing the entire franchise with, whether that be a Kevin Durant who, you know, wants uh, Steve Nash and Sean Marks fired and Joe Sy is disagreeing with that or, you know, Kyrie Irving or James Harden who's blindsiding them with a the trade request who is reportedly, according to ESPN, Plotting a way to get out of Brooklyn as early as training camp that season and just going back and telling the Nets, you know, I want to be here, whatever, you know, bullshitting them to their face and they're, you know, believing it until the point where they're blindsided and they have to take back a Ben Simmons. So it's just not saying that managing a James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving personalities is an easy job, but that's what you sign up for when you're a GM and you bring those guys in. So that was really. The main thing that I think was or could be the downfall of Sean Marks as Nets GM, he's trying to pivot and rebuild this on the fly. And I think it gets to an interesting conversation of when he came in and the picks that were out the door were from the, you know, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett trade. And he looked at those picks and said, you know, those picks are sunk some cost. They're not going to affect how we do business. We'll take our medicine in the short term. We'll rebuild in the long term. Now it's his picks that he sent out the door to Houston. So is he willing or does he have the luxury or the, the sign-off from ownership to go through another rebuild like that? Or is he more looking at it as, oh, I sent all these picks out and now I have to, you know, rebuild this and is not willing to go back into being one of the worst teams in the league. So that's what I'd be monitoring and that would that's what I'd be somewhat concerned about if I was a Nets fan is is Sean Marks GMing right now to save his job or is he looking and does he have the sign-off from ownership to make the moves that will be in the best – you know, vision of the Nets for the next, not just two, three, four years, but five, 10, 15
3: years. <laughs> <laughs> Shit was all good when we was just talking about smoothies, right? Like take y'all back to the days we were just talking about what was in them smoothies, bro. Like once upon a time, <laughs> things were a lot simpler. I guess some smoothies just they still that they, good.
1: they still got those smoothies. They get them posted.
3: Have you had one? Have you
1: had I one? haven't had one, but I know they get them. I see the players with them in the locker room after every game.
3: I guess they're not that good. I mean, <laughs> I guess they're not that good. All right, back to the chat. I see my boy T Rexy in here talking about Sean question marks. He said we have to be honest, Josiah is looking like a jackass each day as long as Sean Marks is still a GM. He should be fired immediately. No more chances. Shout out Mad Dog Russo for calling out Marks. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Everybody's calling him out because in New York, right, in New York, we have eternal GMs like Brian Cashman, who I'm very familiar with, and he gets a chance after chance and a mulligan after mulligan because of his resume, because of the amount of winning he's done, championships, World Series, making it to the ALCS bringing good players in and being a consistent winner. (laughs) This is the most inconsistent. Like, I guess you can look at the Jets and laugh and the Mets and laugh, but the Nets are the laughing stock of the city right now. They arguably had the biggest disaster in the NBA when you look at a super team and what was supposed to be with the big three and scary hours only playing less than 20 games together. Um, The engineer of that, the architect of that, has to go with that. Like, this is it. This is the last half of season. And we'll we'll fast forward a bit here because um I want to get to voicemails and I want to wrap things up. This is it, man. They have this next little run right here to convince me that they can get it together, to convince me that they can win, that they can salvage this season. If they lose through this stretch, what are we talking about, bro? So, I mean, embarrassing to go down second half of a back-to-back without Paulo Banquero and just let, uh, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. eat and uh, Franz Wagner and Gary Harris. I don't even know what was going on last night. Whatever. They were down by 30 for most of that second half. You have the Hawks coming into your building. You have the Hawks coming right back into your building. Beat them. You should be able to beat them twice in Brooklyn. Then you have the Grizzlies who you just beat in Memphis come into the Barclay. And then I'll be there Tuesday. My little cousin is turning 10 years old. He wants to see a basketball game. Why he chose this game? I don't know. Why out of all the games? They chose this game like a month, two months ago. Maybe he wants to see Embiid. But I'm going to break it to his little ass. Embiid ain't playing. There will be no Embiid. (laughs) We got good seats. You're not going to see Joel. The MVP is not going to be playing, bro. You better enjoy Tobias Harris. And then they go to the... Detroit to play against the Pistons man this is a stretch of wins folks. like if they can't string together wins right here then N E T S now end the season if they can't win right there then what are we talking about like what do you guys think about this next stretch the schedule actually lines up for the Nets to have some success here um
4: I think the Hawks the two Hawks games will probably be split um, the previous two games earlier this season came down to the wire, both of them, and both of them were absolute shootouts. And even though Kevin Ollie has, I don't like, I don't know if I'd say improved is a word, but the defense looks better, I guess, um, than it was before with Jacques Vaughn. But the offense has taken a massive hit. Um, if the Hawks are just going to keep scoring, then I just can't see the Nets winning both those games. Uh, the Pistons has to be a win. Uh, the the Sixers has to be a win because they just look have not looked the same with Embiid out. Um, and I forgot the, what was the fifth game? The Uh, Pistons. No, the the one. It was the one before the Sixers. Uh, the Grizzlies. Yeah, that has to be a win. Uh, so I can. I mean, wishful thinking is four and one. I think is fair to say maybe three and two. Um. But either way, even if you go five and zero, oh, like nothing, nothing will really change. To be honest, uh, I mean, the Nets have no picks this year. The best case scenario, they become a ten seed and they play one game in the play on play in, and they'll just lose that game to either the Bulls or the Heat or the Magic or the Pacers. Or, but pr- probably right now, the Raptors are in a better spot than them because they're actually going through a legit rebuild and were sold their players for the right amount of like, they sold Sa- uh, Pascal Siakam for three first round picks and he's on an expiring deal. And the Pacers, you know, they've been, they've improved a little bit, but Tyrese Salaburn has taken a dip with his hamstring injury. So it's just sort of like, you know, it's sort of all mumble jumble at, right now at the moment with this franchise. And it, the biggest, the, the biggest issue that I have is just that there's so many question marks, I would have rather much much rather you know whether whether or not if i agree with the decision to go all in or or to go in a full rebuild at least i would have known what direction we're taking and i just don't see what direction sean marks and this team is like wants to take so yeah i mean we're just trying to get through the rest of the season like he said uh 20 plus games left and then we'll see what happens with the coaching hire and also, I don't know if, uh, Eric, like, what would you think is I, – I don't know if there's, like, been a list of coaches that the Nets are looking at, but what do you think is probably, like, the, play, uh, the, the coaches in the top of the list?
1: Yeah, it's tough to say. Right now it's early. Obviously, like, Budenholzer is the guy that a lot of people have, you know, logically thought could be a choice there. Like, he'll obviously be in the running. There's been a lot of assistant coaches, obviously, that are hot names that have been in the – uh been in the conversation, you know, just optically from the outside, but it's too early to know like Mark Jackson, people have said like he could be the sexy hire, but I don't know, you know, how they would, how interested they'd be in getting involved in something like that guy over in golden state named Kenny Atkinson who proved that he could uh, he could develop some young players and he could have some success and was by far the best coach that the Nets had and was fired because Not because, but, you know, pretty much because he didn't want to start DeAndre Jordan. And he said, this guy's cooked and I want to start Jared Allen over him. And KD and Kyrie had a little bit of an issue with that. So, you know, that's a whole nother tangent for a whole nother uh, episode. But, you know, just talking about the end of the season, like they are four games out from the play-in from the 10th spot. They're trailing Atlanta. They got two games against Atlanta. So those two games legit, you know, could be the season for the Nets. And then, like you said, like, even if they get into the play-in, low chance that they even make the playoffs. But, you know, you said you're confused about the direction that the Nets want to have. The direction that the Nets are trying to go, or at least from what Sean Marks has tried to make clear, is they have their assets. You know, they have seven tradable first-round picks. 2025, they only have two players, Cam Johnson and McHale Bridges, under contract. And they have, like, Dorian Finney-Smith on a player option. They have team options on – Cam Thomas and Dayron Sharp. So they have cap space in 2025. They have all those tradable first round picks. What Sean Marks wants to do is attract a star to play with, you know, Mikhail Bridges, whether using those draft assets, then have cap space to try to go after more guys and build this roster out. Now, why the midseason coaching change? He wants to close the season, obviously, on a strong note, get this turned around, and at least if they don't even make the playoffs, look. You know, end the season on a high note and look more attractive to people who are potentially looking to come here. So, if I'm a Nets fan watching the end of the season, I'm not watching it from the perspective of, oh, can we make the playoffs? Like, that's a byproduct of it. But it's really, can this team look competent and look attractive to a star player like that? Because the Nets have those assets. Mm -hmm. They've made it clear, at least for now, that they don't want to trade Mikhail Bridges. And in order to attract a player along those lines and be able to use those assets, they have to put a functional and at least respectable product on the floor so that's what i'd be looking at and they have the second easiest remaining strength of schedule you know in the nba so could they get there yeah but not a ton of uh, confidence inspired by how they come out these recent games so we'll see if they can get a around. but they would like to close the season on a high note if not for the playoffs obviously just to look more attractive to those pieces that marks potentially wants to bring in
4: and i and i understand that um thought process where you know they use those assets. I mean those suns picks, I mean, I feel like those are so valuable uh when it come I think it's 2029. 20, um I mean there's a they're so valuable and then you get basically handed on you a silver pl- a platter for a rebuild. That's a guarantee. Whereas the direction that you just brought up, while it completely make, makes sense it's not a guarantee, I don't think, where you trade for a big star, you know obviously the Donovan Mitchell reports or Trey Young, you know, and then you pair him up with Mikhail Bridges, you look like a decent playoff team. You'll probably be in and around you know that I'd probably say six seven you know magic Pacers type of uh, area and and then you bank yourself on, when you clear all that cap space, Ben Simmons will be gone. You know, where, what decisions will we make with Cam Thomas and Daron Sharp, two homegrown guys, you know, will Nick Claxton still be on the team? What will we do with Cam Johnson's, uh, you know, you brought up Doreen Finney Smith's player options. So you have so many decisions to make going into the 2025, 2026 season with the free agency. I mean, like, it, I just like I understand I I I get it like you you pointed it out perfectly but I just see it more of you know going into a rebuild with so many draft picks and draft assets like you see what OKC's done obviously it's taken a long long time but they're now reaping the benefits and I just see that more as a healthier way to do it instead of banking on you know putting all your chips in one basket and hoping that a free agent will want to come here because it's not just offering the money or offering the trade assets. It's them wanting to come here as well. And right now this is not, uh, you know, a great basketball franchise at the moment. In but it
1: conference. is New York. It that is. is.
4: That's the only, that's the only selling point. Honestly. That's,
1: that's what Sean Marks pretty much said when he did his press conference, after he fired Jock Vaughn was saying, we have those picks, we have those cap space and people have wanted to come to New York before. And he believes that they'll be able to build this up and be attractive to players like that again in the future. Now, I would think that Sean Marks has more knowledge than we do about players that potentially would want to come here. If he's just hoping that, you know, a guy like that will want to come, then you know, obviously, probably not the most sound way to build a team. But that's why firing Jock Vaughn, you know, promoting Kevin Ali, trying to look more attractive. But you know, you could also argue I covered all this on my podcast this morning. I believe in Nets. They just fired a head coach in Jock Vaughn, who was less than a year into a four-year coaching, you know, contract extension. Not a great sign of you know stability if you're a star and you couple that with the way that they're playing. What star is gonna to want to come here? I mean, like that's pretty much what it comes down to. And right. you know, if he can attract that star and they can pair that guy with Mikhail Bridges, you're still gonna be another move away. So I get what you're saying, and it's pretty much what I covered on my podcast today of. It's not only one move, but you got to make the next move beyond that. And with the way the Nets are playing mm-hmm. right now in the coaching change, really the only thing they have going for them from an attractive you know, their attractiveness is the New York market and their assets. So it seems like a little bit of a pipe dream to build a contender like that. Is it out of the question? I'd say no. But I understand what you're saying about you know the rebuild looking like the more sustainable and viable routes contending. But there's no guarantees there either. So there's no guarantees either way. Like you talk about OKC, the reason that OKC is where they are now is because Shy uh, Shea just you know popped and completely out of that trade. So you get more swings at it that way. And I agree with you. And if I were the Nets, that's the route that I think is more likely, and or not more likely, but more logical. That was the title of my podcast today: was Are the Nets heading for inevitable rebuild? But Right now, they're looking to build around Mikhail Bridges. They are confident in their ability to attract players to the New York market. And, you know, the question I think becomes if that fails, what's the point where it's too late and you're waiting too long to pivot to a rebuild? And Mikhail Bridges has lost his value and you're missing out on all those opportunities and you're just digging yourself a deeper and deeper hole. And I would probably say that they have the next two transaction cycles. So I'd say this offseason, the next trade deadline. And if it's not looking like it's coming together by then, that's, I think, the latest point that they could look to pivot and get real value for Bridges or max value for Bridges. So kind of how I'm seeing it, I get your skepticism, but they're trying to close the season strong, and they think that they have a foundation and they have a city that will be attractive to stars. That's how they're
3: going about it. It is. um, Not for nothing, Ben Simmons came here claiming mental health issues The Nets said, come on down. And you know what fixes mental health? His anxiety, his depression? Retail therapy. That boy be shopping. It's New York City. I mean, my my man is in Soho, Fifth Avenue. You don't hear anything about Ben Simmons' mental health anymore. You don't hear anything about his anxiety, his depression. Cured that right up with a couple shopping sprees. And they took him out to Paris. He got to go out to France and, and, and shop till he dropped. And now he's dropped again, as we told you, uh, my neck, my back, my knee and my back, he's out. So yeah, uh, final remarks coming from the chat. You know, I saw a lot of you guys talking about the smoothie though. Don't forget the smoothies. That is an attraction to come to New York as well. But, um, you know, all jokes aside, I did want to hit on what you guys are saying. Cause I think some of you disagree and I'll weigh in on it as well. Right. Um, Miggs says, sadly, these divas have an effect on the league, and I can see younger talent not wanting to come to the Nets because of the way the divas moved on, and now all the blame is on the franchise. Sure, it's New York, but it is the B squad, and you have an unattractive owner and GM for now. Pimp named Slickback, I see you. He said, Sean Marks also has no idea what stars want. He didn't even know James Harden wanted out. Eric Lewis reported this. Same thing with Kyrie and KD's situations. The Nets aren't the Lakers. Nobody's coming here because of New York. I disagree. That can change, right? A few years down the road, it can change. A few years down the road, KD, Kyrie, and these guys are on the um, you know, other side of 35, and they're older in the game and there are younger stars. Like, I just saw Luca turn 25 today. That's crazy. Like, there are guys that are coming up. And what I'll say to y'all is this like with the Knicks having their resurgence, the Knicks have Um, pretty much their their team for the next few years. They made a bunch of moves, and there's a lot of those guys over there that are going to be locked in with the Knicks. And the Knicks were never an attractive option because it was New York. And then all of a sudden, the Nets became a more attractive option. So I'm telling you, this is is the biggest city, the greatest city in the world. They got to figure it out, and guys will want to sign here. Guys will want to come here. But when I say figure it out, you got to figure it out from ownership GM and really the head coach um, Donovan Mitchell wants to come home. He's there's no room for him on the Knicks. Uh, a couple weeks ago we saw him and Mikael Bridges talking after the game and people started speculating. Oh, Dono's not signing with the Cavs. You know, he wants to be back in New York and Brooklyn. All right, let's play this one voicemail and get out of here. My guy, Joel. Hey guys, what's up? It's Joel. Um, just a few thoughts, I guess. Uh, This next
2: season has been horrific, obviously, but uh, I'm just so sad to see a lot of Nets Twitter resorting to acting like Nick fans and, you know, thinking that we're going to get every star out there, every star player, and that that player is going to come and fix our franchise. You know, the the definition of insanity is, uh, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting a different result um let, let's just let's just calm down guys with the star hunting yes would i love a star player on this team of course but i don't think it's just as simple as an as an easy fix right this team anytime there's a back-to-back this team can't can't do it can't win this team is a clown show and i i think it starts from the top i think uh sy and uh joan marks need to take a long look in the mirror and just uh realize that they're uh they're jokes and uh I'm not sure how to fix it, but uh, I'm not sure the star route is the the exact way to go. All right, guys, take care.
3: I'll say this. It's a star-driven league, but the Brooklyn Nets were just burned by two stars, and I think they're going to change their approach. Uh, I've talked about this on WFAN a lot. It's a, a narrative that comes across a, a lot when you talk about the NBA and you talk about what teams win. And the teams that win, right, especially as we talk about the Knicks a lot, the Knicks have got rid of all of their homegrown guys. Everybody that's playing for the Knicks right now is either a free agent signing or a trade. And as Knicks fans think that they're going to the Eastern Conference Finals Finals this year, which they're not, the, the truth remains that the teams that win, they drafted their guys. They developed their guys. They turned in to Nikola Jokic. They turned in to Giannis. They turned in to Steph. It's just like you have to have a core around those guys too of guys that you drafted like Jamal Murray, that you drafted like Clay, like Draymond. It's just, you're not going to be able to put the pieces of the puzzle together in free agency and trades um, to, to get in front of teams that did it the way that the NBA model is 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 modeled after, which is drafting and developing and having your own guy, and then adding an Aaron Gordon, adding a Bruce Brown, adding a Jeff Green, or you know what I'm saying? All right, that's all I got to say on this pod. Um, closing remarks from Alex, from Eric, and then we'll wrap this thing up.
4: Sorry, I was muted. Um, all I'll say is this, um, you know, I, I agree with Eric. But you just got to have to, you know, build that momentum and perform well to go into next season. You know, that I think that's the main target to go for Get the head coaching decision correct. I think it's a tough one because I've 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 been a very big you know I wouldn't say hater, but I've had a lot of criticism towards Mike Budenholzer and not getting to the finish line. I know he did once with uh, uh, with the Bucks in 2021, um, but he, like outside of that, you know, it's just not been it's it, it's been iffy. Uh, when he was with the Bucks, but he is a very good developmental coach. I mean, you saw it with the amount of uh, assistant head coaches that has done well for themselves when he was with the Hawks. You know, I mean, Kenny Atkinson's the main guy. We saw it firsthand. So, I mean, Kenny Atkinson would be a great hire. I mean, you know, I mean, we we are so far away from that. I think that's going to happen in the summer for the. But we have to get that correct. I think that that's the first thing we need to put there, our heads on. And then we have to go for the big trades uh, or big trade at least. Um, And then we'll see what happens there. But at least we uh, have to know which players are going to be
1: here for the long run for the rest of this season, at least, and finish strong. Yeah, I'd say the Nets, you know, need to put together a competent stretch of basketball right now. And, you know, they have an opportunity to do it with an easier and softer part of their schedule coming up. Obviously, Cam Thomas has the injuries, so we'll see how that factors. in. we'll see, you know, his x-rays were negative. He has an MRI that's awaiting results, so hopefully he's okay but doesn't seem like a major injury. So, you know, if they can put together a stretch of basketball where they look like they're playing decent, have some positive momentum going into the offseason, I think that obviously Sean Marks will be very active. We know, you know, players come available. There's always a few early playoff exits that cause changes from teams. And I don't think that Marks is, you know, bluffing or anything when he says that, you know, when he gives indications of what his intentions are. He wants to be aggressive. He's going to be looked to find those upgrades. Obviously, you know, a guy like Mikhail Bridges is i made this. You know, I talked about this this morning. This team's bad. They look really bad. But this is a rare team where I think that, you know, fans love, like Nets fans love to joke all oh, this. Team, this is the team that's one move away. This team sucks. This and that. Like, I don't think they're one move away. But I think they're the rare team that getting that lead guy, they would look much better than a lot of other teams. Because there's rare that you have a team that, that's this bad, that has that many like proven veteran role players on their roster. You look at the other worst teams in the league, they're not made up like that. You know, They're more just young guys trying to develop. So the Nets do have an infrastructure where if you brought that lead guy in, it's going to make a guy like Mikhail Bridges, like Cam Johnson, like Dorian Finney-Smith look that much better. So I understand the vision from that perspective. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see who is, you know, going to become available, how the Nets can close this season out. And, you know, if Sean Marks is able to pitch that vision to that player, you know, as he had in the past and going from there, if they can't, we'll see if they make the right decision and they pivot to the rebuild. But I do think that these next, you know, this next 24, three stretch of games, whatever it is, is more important than just making the playoffs. It's how the Nets want to appear to the rest of the league in terms of, you know, can they be a functional franchise to those star names? So playoffs may be a pipe dream, but there's still some stuff to watch out for if you're Nets fans, because this is a team that's going to be active moving forward.
3: All right, last, you'll take a look at the standings and where the Brooklyn Nets are right outside of the play-in, and they literally are about to play Atlanta twice. Like, come on, they'll probably split, but take those two games from Atlanta and, and put yourselves in there and then stay in there with this next run of games where you can actually build some team chemistry, some morale with the fan base. Uh, I got to send a big shout out and thank you again to Eric for joining us. Make sure you guys look up the Believe in Nets podcast. That's his podcast. He did his podcast today and our podcast today. He covers the Brooklyn Nets for clutch points. You probably hear him in the Yes Network post game, or even in the WFAM Brooklyn Nets post game, asking questions. Uh, He's paid to follow the team, and he gave us some time today. That's all we've got. Appreciate everybody pulling up in the chat. You know how we end this. Let's go Nets. Let's go Nets. Brooklyn. This episode is
0: brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?